Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. to consider the mystery of the gospel. Now, in very many ways, the gospel is simple to understand. God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Smallest child can understand that. All you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart. But the gospel is a great mystery. Because the gospel proclaims that God, this majestic, infinite, eternal God, whom we could never comprehend, whom we cannot describe adequately, whom we cannot praise according to the merit of his glory, this God so loved us in our sin and in our rebellion, in our brokenness and woundedness, loved us in spite of the ways in which we have totally distorted and destroyed his creation. This God, infinite God, loved this world so fallen that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the greatest treasure of heaven. That whoever believes in him, that's all you have to do. There's no requirement to be good enough, righteousness, righteous enough, or to earn or to have enough merit. All we do is respond in faith. All we simply do is, is hold out our hands and receive the gift of God's salvation. Yet, whoever believes in Him will never perish. We're set free. We're set free from the bondage of death. We're set free from the paralyzing fear of death. We never perish, but we have everlasting life. This is a great mystery to me. The gospel is really very, very simple to understand. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us, we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's pretty easy to understand. This is a great mystery to me. Because when I look at love defined in human terms, and I look at love defined by our culture, I look at love defined by our society, I find that love is defined in terms of, is that person lovable? Are they worthy of love? Is this an place to invest my love. I will love with certain conditions, but God demonstrated his unconditional love for us and that while we were sinners unworthy, that's when Christ died for us. This is a great mystery to me. In many ways, the gospel is simple, but there is a mystery to the gospel. Now, things are mysterious to us when we can't wrap our minds around them, when we can't understand them. Solomon in the book of Proverbs chapter 30, he, he says, you know, there, there's four things that, that are a mystery to me. I just don't understand them. He said, number one, I don't understand how an eagle flies. He says, I, I just can't get my mind around it. I look up and there up in the sky is the eagle circling. I don't know how it stays up there. 
Well, we understand that now. I mean, if you look up, how do birds fly? Well, birds fly because their wings have a, an airfoil shape to them, and that, that curvature of the airfoil causes them, when they're moving through the air, to create it by the Bernoulli effect, a low-pressure zone on top of the wing that creates a high-pressure zone below the wing that pushes the bird up and gives it lift. And when the bird has the up-flap direction, there's a decreased, uh, or an increase, a decreased angle of, um, of um, of attack and therefore there is less friction and drag created on the wing but on the downstroke there's a greater angle of attack and therefore you create thrust and by varying the angle of attack as the bird is flapping its wings it creates both thrust and lift at the same time. You understand that now don't you? Man I look at an eagle I don't see how it stays up there. Because that eagle is not thinking all that stuff. I mean, the eagle is not thinking. Now, what should be the angle of attack on the upstroke? I think it should be about two and a half degrees above the horizon of it. That thing up there has a bird brain and he's flying. <laughs> but you know, when we don't understand something, it's, it's something of a mystery to us. Solomon goes on to say, he says, I don't understand how eagles fly. Then he says, I don't understand how serpents crawl across a, a, a rock, how snakes Crawl, uh, slither across rocks. Out of deference to Debbie, I will not describe how snakes slither across a rock. We will move on. Number three, he says, I don't understand how ships sail on the high seas. He, he said, I, I understand they have sails and oars and that kind of thing, but I don't understand how they get from one place to another across this chaotic thing called the ocean. I don't understand how they can actually sail and the wind's blowing one way and they wind up sailing into the wind. You know, science can explain that for you. They can explain about the airfoil effect of the wing. Okay. But you know, you look at a sailboat, it's a thing of beauty. You know, you just don't understand it. So Solomon said, there, 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 there are things I don't understand because I can't get my mind around them. But, you know, when we do get our mind around them, uh, the, the mystery was there. It's no longer a mystery. This is what we usually think of when we think of... Uh, Mystery stories, detective stories, it's a mystery. Uh, you're reading through the book and the author gives you this clue and that clue and, and another clue over here and you're trying to figure out who done it and, and all, everything points to the butler, but you know, it can't be that because that's too cliche. Then at the end of the book, it happens to be the butler because they fooled you on that one. But anyway, they, they, so they're, 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 they're going through and they give you all these clues and you're trying to put them together and trying to understand it. And then in the very last chapter or so, the author gives you the one last clue that you overlooked the whole time. You know, and that one little clue, everything, aha, there it is. And now it's all solved. You understand the mystery because you know all the clues and you know how they all fit together. And so it was a mystery because you couldn't get your mind around it. But once you got your mind around it, the, the mystery went away. But then some things are mysteries because you can't get your heart around them. Because what Solomon said was, he said, there, there's three things, actually four, that, that are just amazed me. I can't understand them. He said, one, one is how an eagle flies, the other is how a, a snake slithers across a rock, and, and the third is how a ship sails on the high seas. He said, but the fourth thing I don't understand is the way that a man and a woman fall in love with each other. He says, I don't understand that. You know something you don't either. I mean, I've asked men this. I've, I've, I've actually flat out asked them. I said, do you know who your wife is? Yeah, I know who my wife is. Do you know a lot about her? Yeah, I've lived with her all these years. I know a lot about her. And then I look at him and I say, do you really know your wife? Almost invariably, a man will come back to me and he will say, you know something? She's a mystery to me. <laughs> She's a wonderful, beautiful mystery to me. 
because I don't understand how she loves me. I don't understand why, out of all the universe, she loves me, and I love her. I ask women the same thing. I say, do you know your husband? Yeah, I know my husband. I say, do you really know him? And they'll look at me and say, yeah, I know him. He says, but, but is he a mystery to you? No, no, he's a problem. <laughs> but that's a mystery. I don't, I don't understand the difference between men and women. But, but, but Solomon said, he said, I don't understand this, the, the, the way that a man and a woman love each other. He says, it's a mystery. It happens all the time. But we can't tell you why, and we can't tell you how, and we can't, and we can't quantify it. We can't put it in a bottle. We can't do scientific. All scientists have experiments, you know, about what it means to fall in love. They'll tell you, well, it has to do with the subconscious attraction to the imago of your primary caregiver when you were a child. And so by linking up to that need for nurturing, you actually fall in love. And that balderdash, you fall in love because you see her and your heart speaks, it skips a beat, and you just know you can't live without her. That's a mystery. And things are mysteries when you can't get your heart around them. Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. If we pick up our reading in verse uh, 27, uh, he, he talks about how he's proclaiming the word of God and that this word of God has come to the Gentiles. And, and um, Well, let, let's back up to verse 28, uh, 26. You know what else is a mystery to me? It's whoever came up with little tiny numbers that you can't read after you're... All right, we're in verse 26, though. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. It says, I'm preaching the gospel. This is a mystery hidden from the ages. Now, in the scriptures, the word mystery in the New Testament, by and large, refers to the fact that in the Old Testament, the people of God did not understand that the Gentiles are included in the grace of God. You know, back in the Old Testament, the, the, the children of Israel... They figured that they were pretty much God's plan and they were God's special people and the whole point of the universe was so that one day they would be raised up and all the nations would come and say, yes, you were right, you were right all the time, your God is a living God, oh, and, you know. And, and so they, they, they sort of thought that being Jewish was the whole point and that this was the focal point and the, and the limitation of God's working in humanity it would be among the children of Israel. But... Paul came along and he said, you know, what's really going on here is that God is working through Jew and Gentile to give his grace, his salvation to Jew and to Gentile. See, before he became a Christian, Paul was absolutely annoyed by the fact that these Christians talked about Gentiles believing in Jesus and being saved without becoming Jews first. You remember we read about that when we were going through the book of Galatians. But after he became a Christian, after he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, uh, Paul uh, started preaching, yes, this gospel of grace not works to Jew and to Gentile alike, to the point that he was the champion of the gospel to the Jews. And he says that here as, as well. So, so he says, this gospel, this mystery was hidden from the generations and it was hidden for ages. And what he means by that is this gospel of the grace of God in Christ Jesus for all mankind this gospel mystery was hidden in the Old Testament, but it has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's a little definition of terms. So he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints. Now revealed to his saints. You know that God is a mystery, don't you? 
You know, God is a mystery. I mean, you, you can um, study theology and get your degree in theology. You can have all the textbooks and read and get, get the, the terminology down straight and the theories and, and all those kinds of things. You, 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 you can work all that together and have some kind of understanding of what the word God means. But when you come up to who God is, you'll see that all your understanding is like really, really small. You know, we, we sort of think like, wow, we have this great understanding. Our understanding of who God is on a generous day might be the size of a grain of sand off the beach. So now we have this little grain of sand that is our knowledge of God, and we compare it to, oh, let's say the sun. And the sun seems to be a lot bigger than this grain of sand, but even at that we understand that what God is, who God is, and what, we sh you know, what there is to know about God within himself, that knowledge is actually the size of this universe, another universe, a billion zillion universe, and our little grain of sand is just about nothing. But God in his grace gives us the grain of sand. And he says, you've got the grain of sand that puts you next to me. You praise me, you praise me with these words. You, you honor me with these words. You, you, you use these concepts. I've revealed to them to you in my word. This is how you will know me. And yes, there's more to know. God is way greater than we could ever know. He is a mystery to us, but he is known to us by the grace of God. You know that the Son is a mystery. S-O-N, the Son of God is a mystery. Jesus was an absolute mystery. Uh, Albert Schweitzer described Jesus this way. He says he comes to us as one unknown. That was the case. He, 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 he came on the scene and people didn't know what to do with him. They had their categories. They had their, their shoe boxes as to where you put people. And Jesus came along and they said, wow, he, he looks like a religious teacher. Let's put him in the religious teacher shoe box. No, he won't fit in that box because he teaches with authority that nobody else ever had. He teaches with a kind of, of, of a power and authority that the rabbis who teach us don't have. He can't be a good teacher. Well, maybe he's just a good moral man, but no, that's not working because as this good moral man, he's doing things that we good people wouldn't do. By this Jesus, you'll find him among the sinners. This Jesus, you'll find him reaching out to those who are outcast because of their sin. This Jesus, you'll find at parties and he'll allow that woman you understand understand what we mean that sinful woman he will allow her to touch him and to cleanse and to wash his feet he doesn't fit in that shoebox the way he ought to he's a mystery to us well maybe he's a religious leader no that can't be it because all the other religious leaders kicked him out of the fraternity they don't want him this Jesus, maybe he's, he's, you know, he's one of us, he's, he's the, the, the Messiah, and we understand who the Messiah is. The Messiah is the one who's going to justify all of us as Jews. But look at this Jesus, he goes and, and, and he says things, silly things, like to the Syrophoenician woman, your, your faith is greater than I've ever seen anywhere else in Israel. He doesn't have the prejudices, he doesn't have the biases. Who is this guy? And every time somebody tried to explain him, the, the, the explanation didn't fit. You know, Peter almost got it right. He said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's right, Peter. You didn't figure that out on your own. God gave it to you. 
My Father in heaven revealed that to you, and Peter said, that's right, you're the Christ. Now, Jesus, let me tell you where you belong in this shoebox here. The Messiah does not suffer. The Messiah does not go to Jerusalem and there is, is crucified. The Messiah is not beaten. The Messiah is not rejected. Jesus, when you just said, you're going to Jerusalem, you're going to suffer and be crucified. Jesus, you're in the wrong box. Get back in your Messiah box. Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. Because I am not your shoebox Messiah. See, Peter didn't understand it. The disciples, Jesus was a total mystery to the disciples. They couldn't figure out what was going on here. You, you, you ever wonder if the disciples, you know, late at night, they, they get up and they go get together, hey, do you understand what he did today? I mean, th this boggles the mind. You remember how he, he reached out and he touched that leper? We're not supposed to touch lepers. What's with this guy? It was a mystery to them. When he died on the cross, they didn't know what to make of it. Three days later, <laughs> three days later, Peter and John running to an empty tomb on the testimony of the women, finding the tomb empty. They're understanding there's something else going on here. It's a mystery to us, but there's something more going on too. And then that night, Jesus appears to the, to the disciples in the upper room. He says, here I am, guys. Look at me. You know, this, is, this is real. I'm, I'm risen. And they, and they started to get the sense that maybe this guy doesn't fit into our categories. He is a mystery to us, but he is known to us by the grace of God. And so they came to understand that this Jesus Jesus is the Son of God, crucified for our sins, risen from the dead. Just one, aha, that's who he is, aha, who, the, who, who he is. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you just marvel at the mystery of who he is. I don't know any mature believer in Christ who would say that they have plumbed the depths of who Jesus is. He is a mystery to us. The Holy Spirit's a mystery to us. Holy Spirit... Believe it or not, maybe Baptist, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we don't understand how this Holy Spirit thing works. You know, Jesus said, look at the trees and you see them moving in the wind. You ask with red, tree, red chief, does the movement of the trees make the wind blow? If you didn't get that illusion, you know, okay. But you say, we don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know where it's going. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. We don't understand the mysterious working of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand why one day I, I, I want nothing to do with Jesus. One day I am too intellectually superior to, to hold on to that medieval philosophy called Christianity. One day I'm, I'm just too, uh, you know, too sophisticated to, to be associated with that, that kind of, of stuff. One day that's what's happening. The next day the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of me and I can't get enough of Jesus. Why did that happen? It's a mystery to me. It's a mystery why some people will, will, will live their lives in sin and rebellion against God, and then one day the Holy Spirit comes down and just opens up their hearts to pour in the grace of God, and they turn around and they say, yes, Jesus is Lord, and the life has changed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, but it's a mystery to us. And folks, by the way, this is a great thing. It is a great, great thing. I mean, how many times around here have we been planning something and trying to get the staffing and get the organization and materials and, and all these other things together? And, and folks, uh, it, it looks like a well-run machine, but behind the scenes, we're falling apart. You know, 
We're not sure if we're going to have enough folks. We're not sure if we're going to have enough resources. We're not sure about responding. We don't know what's happening. And we'll just look at each other and say, you know, this is why we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now we want to give the Spirit all the resources we can so that he can, he can use preparation and planning and staffing and, and resourcing and those kinds of things. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that puts it all together. And not once has the Holy Spirit failed us. Not once has the Holy Spirit left us in the lurch. It is a mystery to us. And yet, what a glorious way to live. What a wonderful way to live. So God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a mystery to us and yet made known to us. And the wonderful part about the mystery is we can't get our minds around it, but we can't worship a God that we can get our minds around. A God that you can explain all the way is not a God worth worshiping. God gives us enough understanding. He gives us enough explanation. He gives us enough revelation to know him and to invite others to know him. But he is still way beyond us. He is a mystery to us. And we cannot get our heart around it because of the depths of his love for us. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm preaching this mystery. I'm preaching the mystery. Okay, we, we read on. I'm on good shape. This mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, to believers, to those whom the Spirit of God has moved out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The riches of this mystery made known to Gentiles. Folks, that word Gentile, for the vast majority of us in this room, if not for all of us, but for the majority of us, that word Gentile, that word there in that verse is nothing but grace. You read the Old Testament and you know that God was going to save the Jew. But the gracious mystery of God's grace is that he saves the Gentile. The person who had no interest in him, the person who had no allegiance to him, the person who for generations had been in rebellion against him, God saves the Gentile. And Paul says, it's my privilege to preach this mystery, the riches of God's grace, the riches of God's glory, and to preach it to Gentiles. It is a mystery why God would choose us. Oh, glorious mystery. What are the riches of this mystery? Then he says, and here's how I want you to understand the mystery. He says, I'm going to give you just a simple phrase to understand it. At the, this is at the end of verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. That's pretty simple to understand. We explain it to small children all the time. Ask Jesus into your heart, and he will save you. You'll have a home in heaven for all eternity. That's very simple to understand. I don't understand it. He says, Christ in you. You realize, you know, we've just come through, what, what three weeks of looking at three big thoughts about Jesus that are in Colossians chapter 1. You remember what they are. First is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus 
is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is divine, fully human, fully divine. Jesus is the Word of God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity incarnate. That's why we have all this language trying to understand who Jesus is. But he is the image of the invisible God. God who cannot be known, made known to us in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus himself, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. This Jesus, this Christ is in you. I can't get my mind around it. I can't get my heart around it. This is a great mystery to me. Why God would take up resonance in me. There's a lot better places. There's better people. There's better places. But he takes up residence in my life. That's a mystery. An all-glorious mystery. We don't have to explain it. We just know it's true. But he says... Christ in you, Christ who is the image of the invisible God. And then the second thing we, we learned about uh, Jesus in these last three weeks is that he is the firstborn of all creation. That means that all of creation, all, the whole universe is pointing to Jesus, that everything in the universe is designed to set our eyes upon Christ so that all the honor and the praise and the glory for the wonder of creation around us, all that is given to Jesus. Everything is created him by him through him and so jesus as the firstborn of creation is the whole purpose of creation to lead us to the father through the son by the power of the holy spirit creation itself is god's tool his instrument for leading us to him and his throne of grace so this jesus firstborn of all creation he's the purpose he's the point of all creation and this jesus to whom all creation points resides in you as a believer in jesus christ this is a mystery this is a mystery. It says Christ in you. We also learn that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, which is the church. That is, he is the one who gives the church its shape, its definition, its purpose, its direction. Jesus is the one to whom the church owes allegiance and obedience. Jesus is the one of, of, uh, to whom and for whom all our worship is directed. So Jesus is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. And this Jesus resides in you. That's one reason why when you become a believer in Jesus Christ and he takes up residence in your life, you're going to love the church. I, I mean that. You're going to love the church. You're going to love the people of God. Some days it's easier than others, but you, you, you're just going to love the people of God because the head of the church resides in you. Here's the great mystery. Christ in you. And suddenly, whole vistas of life are opened up to you that were closed to you before. Suddenly, the righteousness of God is possible. Not because I'm righteous, not because I have the ability to be righteous, not because I can do righteous things, but because the righteousness of God, who is Christ Jesus, resides in me. And so whatever righteousness I have is Christ in me. This is a mystery, but oh, glorious mystery. The whole vista of Christian life opens up because suddenly to love others the way Christ loved them I'm not doing it on, on my own strength I'm not hoping that I'm having a, a, a good day and so I, I can actually pretend and, and look like I'm loving no, if Christ is in me then the love of God is in me because Christ who is the love of God is in me and suddenly I can love and I can forgive and I can, and I can show mercy and, and compassion and, and uh, all those things See how that works? Christ in you changes everything. This is a great mystery, but oh, glorious mystery of the gospel. 
So Christ in you is a, is a, is a wonderful mystery, glorious gospel. But then uh, Paul goes on to talk about what that means. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. You want to understand who somebody is, just look at what they hope in or hope for. You know, somebody says, well, my, my life, I, I just hope to retire by age 50. I know somebody who had that hope. I gave it up. <laughs> then I had the hope that I'd retire at age 60. God told me to give that one up. <laughs> okay, we don't talk about it anymore. You know, but, but if somebody says, my hope is in wealth, my hope is in having a large enough bank account that I, that I can do as I please in this world and all that, that tells you who they are. If someone says, my hope is to have power or authority or, or prestige, that tells you who they are. If someone says, my hope is for my children that they would be self-sufficient and able to cope with life and manage their way, navigate their way through the world, uh, that tells you who they are. Look at what a person hopes for, and that will tell you who they are. We as believers in Jesus Christ, Christ in us, He is the hope of glory. That's what we are hoping for. We're hoping for God to be glorified, God to be praised, God to be honored, God to be worshipped. We are hoping for the glory of God. Now one of the things that means is the eternal glory of God's heaven. We have a hope that we will stand before the throne of God and give Him praise and adoration for all eternity without the hindrances and the weaknesses of the flesh, without the sort of debilitating environment that's around us called the world. We have this hope that we will stand in the courts of God's eternal glory for all eternity and worship and praise Him because Christ is in us. We have the hope of this glory, but we have the hope of God's glory now. We have the hope that the glory of God will, will just break into our lives and break into the lives of others. And so what we will see around us and see in our lives will not be limited by our understanding and limited by uh, our frailty, but rather our lives will be unlimited by the glory of God. And so we hope in the glory of God. So Christ is in us. That's our hope of glory. That's what's defining us. And Paul says, this mystery, this mystery I'm proclaiming, I'm teaching and, and preaching and, 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 and presenting this message that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's a great mystery, but oh, glorious mystery of the gospel. Well, very, very quickly, just to, to round off the verses. Um, in Paul's life, he said, this, this is a mystery. This mystery is worth living and dying for. In verse, we back up to verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Most of us think suffering is a sign that something's going wrong. Paul says, suffering in my life is a sign that something's going right. Because when I suffer for the sake of the body, suffer for the sake of other believers, when I suffer because of the gospel, he says, that's just a sign that I'm tuned in with who Jesus Christ is. They crucified the master. They're going to do the same to the servants. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Don't, don't get upset about that. He says, he's filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. That does not mean that, that Paul thought he was completing the work of redemption and salvation that Jesus did on the cross. Rather, that word for lacking in the Greek is a word that, that means the next thing to happen, the next consequence, the, 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 the outworking of something that's already taken place. Uh, we could develop that for you in classical literature, but, but simply to say this, Paul is saying, because Christ suffered on the cross, I'm willing to suffer the consequences. 
Because Jesus Christ has saved his church and has redeemed us for his glory, I'm willing to suffer for the sake of that redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Says that there's something more to be done as a church is being established, as a church is being uh, strengthened, as the church is being taught and raised up. There, there's something to be done. It will engage us in suffering. It will engage us in persecution. Paul said, I rejoice in that because God has called me to it and given me a stewardship of this gospel mystery. We're a little bit ahead of ourselves, but not much. And so he says, I, I'm just rejoicing that my life is taken over by this mystery of the gospel um, for the sake of this body of the church. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, that is, the mystery of uh, the gospel. Paul said, because of this mystery, I'm, I'm a steward. Best definition I know of for steward uh, is he, he's a butler. What does a butler do? A butler serves the master's guests in the master's house in, with the master's resources for the glory and the praise of the master. That's who we are. We're given a stewardship. That we would serve those whom God has invited to himself. That we would serve those whom he loves. With the resources of heaven in the house of God for the praise and the glory of the master. That's what Paul's saying. He said, because of this mystery, I have a stewardship. And then just skip with me to verse twenty. Um, eight. He says, him we proclaim, that is Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, that, that's what this mystery has, has resulted in. No one left out. Everyone taught. Everyone warned. Everyone presented before the Father, as is their destiny as a creation of God. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he works powerfully within us. This is all a mystery. So this morning, I invite you to consider the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple enough that you understand enough to ask Christ into your heart to be Lord and Savior. But profound enough and deep enough that you will never plumb the depths of the mystery of God's grace. This is the mystery of the gospel. Oh, glorious mystery. But it is our hope. It's our joy. It's our task. Let's bow together in prayer. And uh, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit now would come upon us and that those who are here this morning for whom Christ is um, just a, a, a stranger to them, I pray that you would bring them to that moment of faith. Bring conviction upon the heart and conversion upon the heart that there might be a confession from the heart. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all of us, those of us who have believed in Jesus that we would spend our days adoring you and praising you, giving you glory because of this great mystery, but also, Father, letting our lives be transformed, changed, guided, directed by the mystery of the gospel, the mystery that Christ is in us. He is our hope of glory. Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.